So let's get into the Word. Last week, uh, last week we were doing a series called Resurrection and Life. And we talked about how when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, right, that was a good thing. And then we, in the same hand, uh, my dad preached a message on water baptism that we are resurrected to life with him through water baptism. And we talked about how that resurrection leads us to life eternal. But then last week we talked about someone else that steps in. That Jesus did his part and then someone else steps in to help us not only have life eternal in heaven one day, someday, but to give us life here on earth. Life and life more abundant. And so last week we talked about how Holy Spirit, um, the Bible says we receive the Holy Spirit into our life. And we said last week he does stuff in us before he ever does stuff through us. Right? And you remember we talked about the fruits of the Spirit and how important it is that we grab hold of the fact that He wants to produce life in us. He wants to produce the fruits of the Spirit in us. And so today, we want to talk about what He does through us. Because He wants to do something in you, but He also wants to do something through you. It's not good enough for God just to make Sean good. He wants to make Sean good, but he wants to make Kim good too. And he's got to use Sean to get to Kim. He wants to use each and every one of us. We all have a purpose and a calling. Uh, I, I talked to a young man this week. He gave me a call and he said, hey, I just had some questions about my salvation. And I've got questions about God's will for my life. And he said, how do you know when you're called? And I said, buddy, we're all called. We're all called. We may have different mission fields, but we're all called to spread the gospel. We're all called to reach the lost. That's what God has put inside of each and every one of us, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so today I want to talk about what that looks like. And I'm going to go ahead and preface a message by saying this. We all come from different backgrounds, right? Some of us come from a Pentecostal background. And right off the bat, when I say Pentecostal, some of you are thinking snakes and poison. No, no. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. Not me. I never touch snakes except for dead ones. And those are the ones I shoot, right? Like I don't do snakes in church. I don't do snakes in the woods. If I see a snake in the woods, I don't, I don't go look and see what type of snake it is. If it's a good snake or a bad snake. If he's a snake in the woods, he's a bad snake, right? If there's the potential of me getting bit, I'm going to shoot him. And so it's important to understand that. I don't do poison. I don't do poison. I don't do milk that might smell a little funny. I will dump out a gallon of milk if I feel like it's just a little bit, just a little bit ripe. I mean, if, it, if I smell it and I'm like, I don't know about this, it's going in the garbage can. So, so I'm not those kind of people, right? And then some of us come from backgrounds that are more liturgical, more traditional. And, and, um, and I've been in both sides. Like, I've been to churches. And, and listen, can I just tell you right off the bat, we're all weird. Like, every church is weird. Can we just say that? If your church isn't weird, you're, you're probably not doing something right. Like, if there's not one aspect of your church that's weird. I went to a Greek Orthodox church one time, and when I went to the Greek Orthodox church, uh, they, they got out these, these censers of incense, and they're waving incense around everywhere. And, um, and they're going through all this stuff, and we had to kneel down and sit up and kneel down and sit up. And, kneel, and I mean, I was getting all of my squats in for the day. And the whole room filled up with smoke, and I'm coughing, and I'm gagging, and I can't see anything. It was weird. It was super weird. I've been to Lutheran churches before. I've sat through Lutheran services before. I've, I, I've been um, in Baptist churches before. I've been in Methodist churches before. I've been in all of them. And they're all weird at some point. They're all weird at some point. They all got something going on that's a little bit off. And, and we all have different views of the Holy Spirit. Jay and I were talking this morning before church, and he said, um, he said well, it's today the last day that I'm at your church. 
And I said, probably. Probably. Today, I'm going to offend Jay at some point. That's going to be my goal. And I told him, I said, no. I said, I said, for real, I said, this is one of those messages I, I feel like everybody's going to get offended at something. And that's, that's kind of a good thing. It's better to offend everybody than to offend just one person, right? Don't you hate to be the one guy that gets offended? But if everybody's offended, then we're all good. We're all getting our feelings hurt, myself included. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, that's what we're looking forward to. All right. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 7. This is going to be our key uh, verse for the day. And I'm going to just hit some common questions. As a matter of fact, we've got a series coming up next, next week. We start a new series. My dad... Myself, Bobby, um, we're all going to be working on this series, making it um, something enjoyable, I hope, and, and something that we can grow from. It's, it's called Big Questions, and we're going to talk about all the questions that, that you guys have or questions that I've been hearing lately. Um, and we're going to try to answer as many questions about God, life, and the Bible as we can. Um, but today we're going we're gonna to hit some of these questions. Uh, and then I'm going to give you, after I talk about a few questions about the Holy Spirit, then we're going to get into um, four aspects, four things that we need to understand, that we need to apply to our life today. So we'll start with John 7. And Jesus says this, Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. In parentheses, in verse 39, it says, When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So today we're going to talk about what is this river that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this outflow of rivers of living water. What is that? And a lot of people use the term gifts of the Spirit to talk about these rivers of what God wants to do, what? Through us. Through us. Now, for some of you, when I say gifts of the Spirit, right off the bat, that brings up a lot of questions. It brings up a lot of concerns, and, and I get that. So let's talk about that. What are the gifts of the Spirit? The Bible gives us three places in the New Testament where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and then also in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read some of them to you. Uh, some of the ones mentioned, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, helping, miracles, healing. Again, I don't know why I put that in my notes twice. Maybe it was very important. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, serving, giving, prophecy, pastoring, leading, administration. Yes, even administration. All you nerds out there are like, hallelujah, the Lord knows me. Right? The Spirit of God can be a nerd in you and through you. And evangelists and on and on and on. It gives us a lot of stuff. One of the problems I feel like I've had in my life, and maybe some of you can relate to me, is whenever I read Paul's writing... I don't always read it in the context I should be reading it. So one of the things Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and we may look at it later, but one of the things Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 is he says, to some he gives the gift of healing, and to some he gives the gift of word of knowledge, and to some he gives the gift of prophecy. He just throws out these terms, and he's not giving us a list, a checklist. He's just giving us a very general, just here's some things that you may notice as the Spirit of God moves through you. Here are some items that you may see. And later on in some of the other ones, he changes that list up. He says, oh, well, what about helps? And what about serving? What about administration? He throws those things out there as though it's not a checklist, but just a general statement of the Spirit of God will work through you to do all kinds of different things. As a matter of fact, he said there are a variety of abilities or a variety of gifts, but one spirit working through you. 
And so what we do sometimes as Christians is we look at that list, especially if you've come up in a, in a charismatic Pentecostal background, you're going to look at that list and you're going to immediately turn it into a checklist and you limit God to one little list of things that he's allowed to do. I don't know about you, but I feel like God is bigger than any kind of list I can put together. I feel like he can do more than I can ever think or imagine. And so therefore, I'm, today I'm choosing not to, I'm, I'm choosing to reject my own past, right? And I'm choosing not to look at what Paul says about the gifts as a single list of checks that I, I know I can have, can't have, but more in the, in the aspect of God can do a lot of stuff through me and I just have to be willing to allow him to do it. I have to be willing to allow him to do it. Yeah, but pastor, what if he doesn't, what if I don't ever, what if you don't? Paul even says, some of you won't do all the things other ones will do. He says it's good to have variety in the house. He says not everybody, he says if you were the body of Christ, not everybody can be the mouth. Think about what a freak we would look like if we had 17 mouths, right? Think about what kind of a freak we would look like if we had 10 arms, he says there must be a variety of gifts operating to make the body work properly. So understand that today. When we talk about gifts, there's no set list. God can do whatever he wants in you and through you. And I think that's a good thing. The other one is this. This is another place in the Old Testament that talks about the gifts. And this one I actually like even more. It's a little more broad. So it opens itself up to any specifics God wants to do. But these are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And we find it in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. So Isaiah gets this word from God. It's a prophecy. And he begins to talk about Jesus, even though he's never met him, right? And so he begins to talk about Jesus. And he says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And listen, he gives us the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. This is so cool to me. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Let me quickly go through these because when we start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, these are the things that we need to understand today. Because if you don't get these things, the rest of those gifts, the specifics, won't work right. So listen to this for a second. He says wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, when you, when you look up all these words like I did, wisdom means to be clever or to be skillful. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to do what? To do whatever he needs you to do. To have wisdom beyond your years and beyond your education. Have you ever met somebody? Have you ever talked to somebody? And, and, and they're younger than you think they should be to have the wisdom coming out of their mouth. And I know this is Jesus because the Bible says when he was 12 years old, he, he got left in the temple when his family took off and they were going back home. And he's sitting in the temple and the Bible says the questions he was asking and the answers he was giving were, were beyond his years. And people were astounded at the wisdom of what? It was the Holy Spirit doing a work through Christ. You and I can have wisdom. Some of us need it more than others. Amen? Me being one. The other one is, is understanding. Now, to me, when I read this, I saw wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and I thought that's all the same thing, but that's why I need wisdom, right? Because I don't understand everything. The word understanding means to smell something out, to smell something out. 
Have you ever been um, in your house and you open up the refrigerator door and you know, right? You know something's dead in here. Like something, we cooked something and it got stuck in the back somewhere and it's dead and I'm going to find it. And you start smelling, right? You smell the top shelf and the next shelf. No, y'all looking at me like I'm funny. Maybe I'm the only one that does this in my house, right? And so you find what's dead in there and you pull it out. The Bible says that the word understanding is the gift, it's a characteristic of the Holy Spirit, and it's called discernment, and what it means is the ability to smell out the truth in any situation. Have you ever noticed that whenever Jesus is talking to people, the Bible says, and he knew their hearts, he understood that they were trying to trap him in their words? Why? He is smelling out the truth. I hear what you're saying, but what you're saying is matching what's in your heart, and I can smell the truth inside of you. The Spirit of God, when he operates through us, gives us the ability to have this understanding where we can smell the truth in what's really going on. The other one is counsel. Now, we already know Jesus called him the comforter, the counselor, right? Counsel means to give someone advice, to encourage them, to comfort them, to be alongside them. And that's something, not just who the Holy Spirit is, that's who he is through you as well. There are some people that I go to that I've talked to before when I'm struggling, when I'm hurting, when I'm dealing with some things, and I know there are certain people that the Holy Spirit moves through them with the idea, with the, with the function, the ability of counsel different than anybody else I know. They can comfort me, they can encourage me, they can help me, they can advise me in a way that no one else can. The other one is the, the spirit of might, which means strength, power, and courage. Now, that right there opens up the door for all kinds of stuff, for healing, for miracles. It opens up the door for witnessing. It opens up the door for, for me to be able to step into a, into a bad situation and have courage knowing that I've got someone greater inside of me than he that is in the world. I've got the Spirit of God moving in me and through me. It's the Spirit of power and might. The other one is the, is the Spirit of, revel, of knowledge, which means revelation, to have something revealed to you that you didn't already know. Jesus is sitting at the well and he's talking to this woman and, and, and he says to her, he says, go and get your husband and come back. And she says, I'm not married. He says, you're exactly right. You're not married. You've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. Boom. Drop the mic. What happened? Spirit of God working through Jesus. And you might say, yeah, but he was all God and all man. So he obviously knew that. No, 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 no. He was man. God had to use him as a man. He had to do things that men could do. Why? Because he had to be an example to us. Why? Because he said, these things and greater shall you do. He puts it back on us. So he's got to be able to have the spirit of God moving in him and through him. So what happened? He got some knowledge or revelation about this woman's life deposited in his heart, in his mind. Immediately. And he was able to use that to be a witness to her. The last one is the one that I think is the most important for a lot of us. See, I think that the big problem with people talking about the gifts of the Spirit is that we've had a bunch of yahoos on TV absolutely ruin the reputation of the Holy Spirit because they don't know what they're doing and they're selfish and they're greedy and they're trying to get people to look at them and not look at him. And when that happens, it ruins the reputation of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, people are like, anything having to do with the Holy Spirit, I don't want anything to do with it because I see what that guy did. I see how that church acts. I, I see these people acting weird and acting crazy. And I see how they act when they leave. They get down in the front and they jump and they dance around and they speak in tongues and they prophesy and they say all the things. And then they go home 
and they're still addicted to porn, and they're still beating their wife, and they're still gossiping on the phone, and they're still cussing and ranting and raving, so therefore I don't want anything to do with them. I see this preacher on TV, and he's up there talking about the Spirit of God, moving through him and the gifts of the Spirit, but yet he still goes to a hotel with another woman at the end of the night. So they've ruined what God wants to do in us and through us, in our minds. But that's why I like the last aspect, the last characteristic of the Holy Spirit, and it's the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means respect, submission, humble. In other words, I'm not going to say God said unless I know God said. I'm not going to say Holy Spirit anything unless I know it's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in the, in the Ten Commandments, it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. For years we thought that don't take the Lord name, Lord's name in vain means um, don't say Jesus as a cuss word. When I stub my toe, don't say Jesus. Jesus, Jesus wasn't even there. Like that, his name wasn't even there. Like why would, he, that's stupid. What does it mean? It means using someone's name in vain means for me to get up and say, here's what God's saying to you today, and it's totally me. I've just used his name in vain. Using God's name in vain means to get up here and walk, walk through all the gifts of the Spirit and act like I'm operating in all the gifts of the Spirit, but my heart is far from God. I am not submitted to him one bit. I'm in it for myself. I'm not in it for him. That's using his name in vain. And I like that that aspect of the Holy Spirit comes in, that we have a fear of the Lord. It's good to have that kind of fear. One of the other questions, so that's a question about what are the gifts of the Spirit. Another question I get all the time is, didn't the gifts of the Spirit die off with the apostles? Didn't the gifts of the Spirit die off with the apostles? I'm about to hit um, everybody for just a second. So, so we're going to talk to those of you that might would believe that or grew up understanding that. And then we're going to hit the other side, the Pentecostals that think a whole other direction. So we're going to hit everybody. Just give me a second. Here, here's the problem uh, with what we do a lot of times is we will take one verse out of the Bible and we will create an entire doctrine out of it without looking at the context around it. We'll take a verse out of the Bible and build a doctrine that Peter, Paul, James, John, and Jesus didn't build. We did. Now, I don't know about you, but I trust Jesus, Peter, James, John, and Paul all the writers of the New Testament, a whole lot more than I trust any of us. Right? Because they saw him. They knew him. And so I'm going to listen to them a little bit more than I listen to us. So where do we get that thought that they died off with the apostles, that, that there is no more prophecy and there is no more tongues, and there is no more healing and there is no more faith? No more faith? No more knowledge? Like, wait, let's go back to those gifts. Counsel? Fear of the Lord? There's no more fear of the Lord? That's not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 and through 10. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. This is all true. This is all Bible. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, all these gifts of the Spirit, all these things that we're talking about, they're all really, really good, right? They should all be based on love, because this is the love chapter. But here's what he says. He says there's going to come a day of perfection, 
What is the day of perfection? He says in the day of perfection, we won't need all that stuff anymore. And I'll get to why we need it in a minute. But he says you won't need prophecy anymore when you come to the day of perfection. You won't need um, unknown languages anymore when you come to the day of perfection. You won't need healing anymore when you come to the day of perfection. What is the day of perfection? The day of perfection is when I get to heaven. The day of perfection is when Jesus establishes his throne here on earth. The day of perfection comes when all things are made right. But until that moment, I need everything the Holy Spirit has for me. Until I get there, I need it all. Whatever he can give me, I will take it. Because I'm going to have to have it to fulfill the calling of God on my life. To live life and life more abundant. i got to have the Spirit. But some people say, yeah, but, but Gabriel, that, that perfection there means when the Bible was completed. Once the Bible was completed, then we don't need the gifts anymore. These are where common sense arguments just frustrate me. Like, I just want to tell people, man, just don't be stupid. Like, if you just don't be stupid, and then life will be better. Right? Like, if it's hard when you're dumb, right? It's just really hard. Here's the thing. The Bible wasn't even a- around when these guys are talking. Their Bible was complete. Their Bible was the Torah. Their Bible was the Old Testament. It was complete, and it was fulfilled in Christ. They didn't have these books. These were letters they were writing at the time. I don't know that Paul realized that him writing a letter to the Corinthian church would end up becoming, hundreds of years later, would end up becoming a book in our Bible. My man's just writing a letter. Like, he's just trying to help somebody stop sleeping with their sister, which was a big problem in the Corinthian church. Like, he's just trying to help folks out. He didn't know that. His view of perfection was when Jesus comes back. Here's the next one. What's up with tongues? That's the question I wrote. What's up with tongues? Have you ever had that question? Nobody wants to raise their hand. They're like, no, man, I'm not raising my hand on that one. We've all had that question. Uh, I was trying to think of some stories. I've heard lots of stories about this one. But we've all had that question because because a lot of times whenever whenever you see a church or you see a person that speaks in tongues, you're like, ugh. I don't know what that is, and I'm uncomfortable with it. So let's just talk about it. Like, let's just get it out there. Let's see what the Bible says about it, right? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible talks about speaking in tongues of men and of angels. Paul says that. So in other words, there's this, this ability to speak in another language that could be a language here on earth. But then he talks about the language of angels, and that could be something totally outside of our realm of understanding. You get that? I get that. It says this. The Bible t- says that tongues build me up but they don't necessarily build you up. So that's something else to consider whenever we're talking about tongues. I just want you to get a a big picture here. The Bible says tongues build up the person speaking them, doesn't build up other people necessarily. And then another thing the Bible talks about when it talks about tongues, every time I see tongues in the Bible, here's what it says. It talks about communication to God, from man to God, or it talks about communication from man about God. I never, I'm not saying it's impossible because with, with God all things are possible. I've never seen tongues in the Bible as communication between man and man. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying I don't see it. And today my goal is to look past my past and look past what I've seen in my past and look at what the Bible says. Let's focus on what the Bible says. Here's a couple of things Paul says. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit. That's great, but it's all going to be a mystery. In other words, you can do it, you can do it, but understand this, you're not talking to anybody. You're talking to God, that's somebody. You're not talking to the people around you. Paul would go on to say later, he said, if you're going to speak in tongues, he said, that's great. He said, I speak in tongues more than the rest of you. He said, but when I go to church, I would rather speak in my native language, right? Like for us, it'd be English. I'd rather speak in English than speak in tongues because when I go to church, I need other people to understand what I'm talking about. I don't need anybody to be confused. I don't need anybody to, to misunderstand what's happening. He said, I want to talk in a way that people can get the gospel. In Acts 2, uh, chapter 11, I mean, Acts 2, chapter 11, I'm an idiot. Acts 2, verse 11, um, the, in the upper room, the people were speaking in tongues, the first disciples, and here's what the Bible says, the people heard. We, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages, so they're speaking in tongues of men, they're speaking in a language people can understand, and what are they speaking? The wonderful things God has done. They're just worshiping God. They're worshiping God. So when we hear someone speaking in tongues, I'm, again, I'm not going to say that God can't do what he wants to do. God can do whatever he wants to do. I'm not his boss. But when we see it in the Bible, it's always man to God. Man to God. That's what we see. Another question I've, I've been asked before. I've been asked, are tongues required to receive the Holy Spirit? And are tongues required to go to heaven? No and no. No and no. Now, there are denominations that believe that, right? And, and, and I get that. I understand. But, but let me just explain to you what that is. The Bible never says this. The Bible never says that whenever you receive the Holy Spirit, Peter didn't say when you receive the Holy Spirit, you also must speak in tongues. He never said that. He just said receive the Spirit. That's all he said. Now, book of Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 10, they spoke in tongues. There's, a, there's, there's three places in the Bible where we read about people being, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. In three of those places, they speak in tongues. But out of those no, there's five places where they do it. In three of them, they speak in tongues. The other ones, they don't say anything at all. Like, we don't see that. But yet, denominations will come in and they'll say, because three out of five happened, then therefore... Now, do you see that as being God? No, I see that 100% as being man's logic. It's not God's word, it's man's logic. The Bible also says that not only do they speak in tongues, some people prophesied. Some people praised God. So why can't God, when, he, when I receive his spirit into my life, why can't he allow praise to come out of me instead of tongues? Is that okay? Could it be prophecy that comes out of me? Is that okay? I feel like it's whatever God wants to come out of me, whatever God wants to do through me, whatever river of living water he wants to flow out of me. I say, God, you do what you want, not what I want. And I'm not going to mandate what anybody else gets. Let me also say this. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 that not everybody will speak in tongues. What do we do with that one, Pentecostals? Like right now, all of my like Baptists and Methodists are like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Not everybody's going to speak in tongues. And all my Pentecostals are like, you're wrong, man. I'm leaving this church. That's okay. I got you. You can argue with Paul. That's what Paul said. I didn't say it. Trust me, it hurts my feelings from my past. That's what Paul said. So this is just something I want you to think about. Paul also said that he did it more than everybody. Paul also teaches that, that tongues is communication to God about God. He talks about it being a prayer. He says, I can pray in tongues. I can sing in tongues. 
But he also says, I can pray in, I know he didn't say English, I can pray in English, I can sing in English. And he says, when I do one, it edifies me on the inside, but when I do the other, it edifies those around me. Just some, just some thoughts. I'm not building doctrine here. I'm just reading Bible. So let's get back to our points. Hopefully I answered a few questions. Maybe I stirred up some more questions. We'll see. If you have more questions about it, shoot me an email. We'll talk about it next month. But I want you to turn back to John chapter 7 because I want to get to some, some practical aspects here really quickly, some things that we need to have. John 7, 38 and 39. I'm going to read it one more time. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone, who, uh, everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So I want to tell you a couple of things about these rivers that I think is important. Because we need to stop blocking up what God wants to do in our life. I think what we do sometimes is we think of the river of God, the river of the spirit, the rivers of living water. We think of them as more of a leak than a river, and we try to block it. We try to stop it. We try to, oh, no, don't do that, God. I am too embarrassed to let you do anything. But God's saying, I want to, I want to flow out of you. I want to minister to people. I want to touch lives. I want to change hearts, and I need you to do it. I've chosen you as my vessel, and I want to use you. So here's what, a couple of things about the river. Number one, the source of the river is always love. The source of the river is always love. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul says you can speak in all the languages you want to speak into, but if you don't have love operating in your life, then you're just making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Then he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. If you think you're operating in the gifts, if you think you've got a river flowing out of your life, but it's not flowing from a place of love, then let me tell you something. You're, you're spewing out poison. I've been in some services, man. I have been in some services. Like, you think the guy with the smoke was weird? I was in a service one time. Bobby and I were talking about this the other day. How many of y'all have ever heard of somebody being slain in the spirit? Terrible word. Absolutely terrible. I don't even know why we use the term slain in the spirit. Slay, to slay something means you kill it. And last time I checked, he says living water, right? So, um, so... There's this, there's this place in the Bible where it talks about when people step into the presence of God, um, in the Old Testament it says that they fell on their face before the Lord like a dead man. So I guess that's where we get the term. But we've been in services, Bobby and I were talking about this, we've been in services before where people would come in and they wanted to pray for you, and, and you can see people get prayed for, and you can see people fall under the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I've seen that happen, and I get that. But I've also seen people come out, and they try to push you down, they try to slap you. Now, those of you that have never been in a service like that, you're looking at me like, what the heck is going on? What kind of cult were you in? Listen, it wasn't a cult. I'm just telling you, I've seen people that did not operate in love. Their rivers flowed from a place of pride and vanity, and they wanted to see something happen that wasn't supposed to happen. 
Bobby told me one time, he was telling me yesterday, he said, he said somebody came down the aisle and they were praying for people and they just grabbed him and started trying to shove him. And he said he put his face like the, you know, and he said it was a shoving match, right? It had nothing to do with God whatsoever. It was absolutely a wrestling match in the middle of church. I was in a church service one time. This old lady was coming by and she wanted to pray for people. So they lined everybody up, you want to get prayed for. And I'm looking down the line, and I see this lady coming down the line. And the old bird is just pop, pop. And I'm like, God help me, she just slapped every person next to me. That's not God. But I'm already up here now. If I walk back, I'm going to look stupid, so I'm going to just stay up here. And I remember standing there, and all of a sudden, I feel the wind. Not of the Holy Spirit, I feel the wind of her hand pop the guy next to me. And she comes to me, and when she does, she said something, and when she did, I literally went, ugh, and nothing happened. And I went, ugh, oh, pow, right in the face. I didn't fall under the power of the Spirit, folks. I fell at the power of fear because I thought if I don't fall on the ground, she's going to hit me again. And my lip was bleeding, I think. I mean, she popped me. Listen, that was not coming from a heart of love. That was not coming from the fear of the Lord. She had no respect for the people around her. I can call her out now because Lord knows she's probably dead. There's no way that old woman is still alive. There was no, it was a heart, she was rude. She wasn't sensitive to what the Holy Spirit was doing. She was determined in her heart that she was, she was glorified if people fell on the floor. Not God. So she wanted to hit me. Should have hit her back. Huh? Perry says, I, I shouldn't do that. But what if I would have just prayed and been like, God told me to. Okay, no. Yeah, Perry's the Holy Spirit. All right, let's, get, let's keep going. Number two, number two, and this goes back to what I just said, the rivers should be life-giving, right? He says rivers of living water. These rivers should be life-giving. They shouldn't be killing folks. It should be bringing people up. You should encourage people. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you and through you should be life-giving to those around you. He did not call you to be judge, jury, and executioner of everyone around you. That's his job, not your job. Your job is to encourage and bring life and lead people to the throne. And if they don't want to go, that's up to them. That's not your job. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible says this. Paul speaking, he says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us, so what? So we can help one another, not so we can hurt one another. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 3 says, But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. The work of the Spirit is to comfort and convince, not kill and destroy. He wants to do something through you today. He wants you to be a blessing to other people, and He wants to do that through you. You're thinking, well, well, how does that work? Look at what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Jesus calls her out on all her mess. Yes, He did that, and that could be embarrassing, but, but you know what? I have a feeling that woman needed some truth. And you look at her response. Her response was not, oh, you hurt my feelings, I'm leaving. She went back to town and said, y'all got to come see the guy that told me everything about my life. What happened? The Spirit of God worked through her in a way that blessed her, encouraged her, gave her life. 
Yes, it pointed out some of her flaws. Yes, it pointed out some of her bad past. But for her in that moment, that was exactly what she needed. And she ended up getting everybody in her town to come find Jesus. That's right. It was out of love. Everything Jesus did was out of love. The third thing is this. We should desire the outflow. We should desire for God to move through us. It should be something we want, not something we reject. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, it says, You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Paul was really down with prophecy. The word desire means to boil over, to be deeply committed to something, to set your heart on something. Paul says this, he says, listen, you need to desire to allow the Spirit to move through you. I'm not telling you what specific thing, I'm telling you, you need to desire to allow the Spirit to move through you. Perry and I were talking the other day and she said, she said I really want God to work through me. To, ch- to change other people's lives. I really want to see God move through me to touch the people's hearts around me. You need to have that desire. Don't worry about the how. Don't worry about what it looks like. Worry about being obedient to what God wants to do in you and through you. We want to see miracles in our family, we want to see miracles in our city, we want to see miracles at our job, we want to see God move, but we don't want to get out of the boat. The Bible says Jesus is walking on the water, and as he's walking on the water, Peter and all the other disciples are looking at Jesus walking on the water. It was only Peter that said, I want to get through that, like, I want to walk on water. And Jesus said, fine, walk on water, get out of the boat. What did the Bible say? The Bible said Peter jumped out of the boat. Now, we always get him down the road because he got worried about the wind and the waves. He started drowning. Jesus had to pick him up. I get that. But what about the other 11 dudes sitting in the boat? Some of them were probably saying, I don't want to walk on water. Like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to pretend like I want to walk on water. Other guys were probably saying, I do want to walk on water, but I ain't getting out of this boat. This boat is comfortable. This boat is nice. This boat is warm. Why would I ever get out of this boat? If we want to do something that, that we've never done before, if we want to allow God to move through us like he's never moved before, we've got to be willing to do things we've never done before. We've got to be willing to get out of the boat. Yeah, but, 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 but Pastor, there's waves and there's wind and, there's, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen either, but I've got to be willing to allow God to move through me. What if he does something weird? What if he doesn't? What if he does something totally normal that you understand and you like? See, we we'll never think that way. We only put God in this box that he's weird and he's irrational and he's crazy. Maybe because we read stories about Jesus healing blind people by spitting in the mud and and wiping it on their eyes. So maybe he will make you do something weird. I don't know. Here's my last point. And then we're going to, I'm going to shut up. And listen, don't don't leave the church over this. I joked with Jay that people are going to leave the church over this. Don't leave the church over this. Come back next month. We'll let Bobby and Dad talk. They'll make you feel really good about your life. (laughs) Verse 4. I mean, number 4. Rivers work best in the desert. This is my favorite part of this one. Rivers work best in the desert. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Here's what God says. But forget all that. He says, don't worry about your past. He says, nothing compared to what I'm going to do. 
for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. What did he call you to do? He said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. In the Old Testament, he said, I'm about to do something new. And the new thing I'm doing is creating rivers in the dry desert. Ezekiel chapter 47. This is the long vision that Ezekiel had. I'll just read part of it. Let me set you up. Ezekiel says, I went to the temple. And while I was at the temple, I saw a river coming out of the temple. It started out as a little trickle. But as, it, as I followed along, it got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. What does that represent? The river represents the spirit of God. The temple, Ezekiel is thinking the temple represents uh, the, the temple. But we know in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said. And so if I'm the temple and there's a river flowing out of me, what does that river do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 6. And he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Actively growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, the river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water flows, uh, wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters become fresh. Life will flourish wherever the water flows. The river that flows out of me has a purpose, and it's to flow through the dry deserts and bring life. It's to flow into the worst Dead Sea and bring life. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. This is Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now notice it doesn't say you'll receive power to be on TV. It doesn't say you'll receive power so you can have a new jet airplane. It doesn't say you'll receive power so you can live in the biggest house. It doesn't say you'll receive power so that you can fight with Bobby over whether or not he should fall on the ground or not. It doesn't say any of that. What does it say? It says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria into the very ends of the earth. What's the point of the river? The point of the river is to go into the desert and bring life. So whenever you're praying and maybe you're coming from a background and, and your background says that, that I, I'm not sure about Holy Spirit, I'm not sure about gifts, I'm not sure about fruits of the Spirit, I'm not sure about any of that kind of stuff. Instead of being unsure and just closing yourself off to it, think, God wants me to go into the driest, darkest desert. He wants me to go to the worst sea filled with salt and bring life. Now, how am I going to do that? I don't know how I'm going to do that. But I've got to allow the river of living water to flow out of me. Not just a trickle. I've got to allow everything. All that he has for me. This week in staff meeting, we were listening to Christine Kane. And I don't know if you've ever heard Christine Kane. She's an Australian and, and, um, and she, she's the one that started the A21 campaign, which we support, which helps rescue uh, women in sex slavery and um, and so she was telling this story and, and, and telling her thoughts about how to 
lead through hope. And it was a great, it was a great little message she was given. And, and one of the things that she said at the, at the very end um, is she said that uh, living in Australia, they don't have Walmart, right? And she's like, there's no place you can go where you can buy you know, like hamburger meat and a tent at the same, you know, like she said, it's ama- Walmart's amazing. And she said, all the Australians come to America and they take pictures of themselves at Walmart, you know, and um, I think that's funny. But she says, she goes to Walmart and she's with her daughter and her daughter says, mommy, I want a, I want a flashlight. I want a, a Barbie flashlight. And, and Christine was like, yes, okay, let's do this. And so she went and bought the Barbie flashlight and she, they're going to check out. And as they're, as they're checking out, the little girl starts turning on the flashlight. But if you've ever been in Walmart, you know Walmart has all those bright fluorescent lights. You can go to Walmart at one in the afternoon, or you can go to Walmart at one in the morning, and it's just as bright no matter where you go. And the little girl turns on the flashlight, and she starts getting frustrated because she can't see the light. She said, Mom, I can't see the light. And Christine was like, well, it's got to be dark, right? Like, you can't, there's so much light in here, it's got to be dark in order for you to use your flashlight. And she said, Mommy, can we go find some darkness? Before she even finished her thought, I'm writing notes. I'm like, this is, this is gold. Like, this is exactly what we need to hear today. Here's the problem with Pentecostals and Charismatics. Most of the time, we take our little Holy Spirit flashlight and we shine it in a room full of light. We use it right here when all the lights are on. I, I, I would do my illustration when we turn off all the lights. We shine it when there's all the light in the room. It doesn't do any good. And God's saying, I don't need you. I don't need you to have a river flowing in an oasis. I need you to have a river flowing in a desert. I need you to shine a light in the darkest places. You want to know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you today? In you, he wants to produce fruit. Through you, he wants to take you to the darkest places for you to shine light. So what are the gifts? The gifts are just different ways to shine the light. That's all it is. That's all it is. I'll tell you a couple of stories and then I'll quit. I read the story of a man one time. He was on an airplane. He looked over at the woman next to him across the, across the aisle. And, and if you know how it is on an airplane, most of the time you just want to sit there and be quiet and focus on your stuff. And as he's sitting there, he just, he said, I felt like God told me three things about this woman. And he was like, I was so scared and I was so nervous. And I thought, this is stupid. This is stupid. This is stupid. Don't do anything. And he said, I just reached over and I said, excuse me, ma'am. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I'm so sorry to bother you. He said, but I just feel like God has said these three things. I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but these are the three things I feel like God wanted me to tell you. And he told the woman the three things and immediately she burst into tears. By the time they landed, the woman had given her heart to Jesus Christ. I lived in Guatemala when I was a kid. We were in Guatemala and um, we would always bring these American teams who would come down to Guatemala to do evangelism or they'd come down and build a church. They'd do, do whatever. One night we had one of those American teams were there and this, this, uh, this woman was there to get prayed for, a little Guatemalan lady, and she didn't know any Spanish. And, um, and so we had this American lady and the only Spanish she knew was like baño and taco, right? Like, and those kind of go together. You eat too many tacos and you got to go to the baño. 
So she's sitting there and she's praying with this lady. And we would always have interpreters, myself, my brother, my parents. We would always kind of help these people interpret. So if they, if they want to pray for you in English, I wanna, we want to help you out. And this lady gets down and she begins to pray for the, the American lady. begins to pray for this other lady. And as she begins to pray, she just begins to speak in perfect Spanish. She didn't even realize she was speaking in Spanish. And she got done. And the woman that was being prayed for absolutely breaks down. And God does an amazing work in her life. Why? Because this other lady was speaking perfect Spanish. When she got done praying, was she able to speak in Spanish? Nope. Baño and taco. Didn't even know she had done it. She thought, I was just praying. I didn't realize that was happening. Why? What's happening? God wants to use the spirit inside of you to do something in the darkness, to bring light to a dark place, to bring life to the desert. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to work. Paul says, you seek it out. You seek it out. It's up to you. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? I hope today you saw my heart. My heart is not to... I said that kind of jokingly about everybody getting their feelings hurt just because I knew I would talk about my own past. My heart is not to bash on your doctrine or your old, you know, denomination. That's not my heart. My heart is not to force you into something that you don't want to step into. But my heart is for people that say, you know what? I see Jesus walking on the water and I know there's a little bit more than what I'm doing right now. And I just want to encourage you to step out of the boat. That's my heart today. My heart is just to encourage you to take whatever next step you need to take. I love that Paul said, you seek, you desire. He didn't say, I'm going to force it on you. He said, you seek and you desire. Why? Because your relationship with God is about your relationship with God. It's not about my relationship with God. So why don't we just close our eyes this morning? Nobody looking around for just a second. I know i got to hurry and get off the stage. But Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. We invite you into our lives today. And we just ask that you would do a work in us and through us. I pray today for those of us, God, that are a little bit scared. We're a little bit worried about what you might be doing. Um, God, I just pray that your spirit says that it's a spirit of might, which is a spirit of boldness and courage. And I just pray that you would give us boldness and courage today to seek after all that you have for us. God, I pray today that we wouldn't stop up any rivers. But God, we would allow the river of God to flow through us, God. Because we want to be used by you to reach the dark. We don't want our light to shine in the light. It doesn't do us any good. We want to shine our light in the darkest places. And God, you've sent us to dark places. Some of our jobs and, and some of our travels and, and some of our families and some of our neighborhoods. God, some of our schools. We're in dark places already. And so God, I just pray that you would allow us and help us to desire that river to flow out of us into the desert. That light to shine through us into the darkness. And God, for those of us that have misused and misinterpreted and and for those of us that have abused your name, we've used your name in vain because we've been so hyped up on the emotion and we've been so hyped up on on the thrill. And and God, we've been so looking forward to what people think about us. I pray that you would forgive us and help us today to understand that every river flows from a place of love. It doesn't flow from a place of vanity. It doesn't flow from a place of pride. It flows from a place of love. A life-giving river flows from love. 
So forgive our pride. Forgive our poison. God, I pray today that you would, you would move in us in a real way, not in a hype way, but in a real way. God, I pray that we would seek to obey your word and not obey our feelings and our flesh. So do a work in us today. Make us curious again. Make us curious again like little kids, God. Willing to ask questions. Willing to, 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 to review what we've been taught, God. Willing to, to seek out what you're doing. Make us curious again. We love you and we need you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.